Hello, this is Pastor Ryan Brown, and you are listening to the Aroma of Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Fostoria Baptist Church. Let's get started. Our scripture reading this week is coordinated with our baptism, and so we're reading one of my one of my favorite baptism texts. Actually, my favorite baptism text. I think it communicates the symbolism better. Though it is unusual to think of it as a favorite, maybe I'm just an unusual kind of guy. But at any rate, the scripture reading is 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. Given that I am explaining this not in a direction, but for what it says about baptism, we are primarily going to be focusing on our explanation on verse 21, which compares baptism to the waters of the flood, which of course the waters of the flood are judgment, and so baptism the waters there also symbolize judgment. That's why we are buried with him in the likeness of his death, because his death is the judgment we deserve for our sin. It's our condemnation. We're going into the flood waters of judgment. Now, it is very clear in First Peter 3.21 as well that this isn't something that the rite itself is cleansing. Yes, it does say baptism saves us, but it make, Peter makes it clear that it's not by the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but rather that it's an answer of a good conscience toward God, and that only through the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it is us being, making, it's us showing that we are in likeness and united to him in his death and resurrection that ultimately is that, uh, that. It's us showing what makes us saved, which is our union with him and his death and resurrection. It's an answer of a good conscience. It's a declaration. And so the text reads, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Well, good morning again. And you can go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 13. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 23 again today, with an emphasis on verses 19 through 23, of which we basically said nothing last week. But we have been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've come to this particular speech of Jesus, the parables discourse, in which he does use these earthly, and earthy maybe better, earthy stories to describe realities that are beyond what's just in them. And they require thought and meditation. And at least part of the point is to explain 
the various responses that Jesus has gotten in Matthew 11 through 12. And how it's not the fault of the message or the messenger, but in fact, they're things that are outside the sower's direct control. And that's true when we, of course, are the sower. It's less true when Jesus is the one doing the sowing, as he has nothing that is outside his control. But this is how the parable's discourse began. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Father, I ask that you would be guiding us today, that you would be making all of our hearts into good ground, that we would receive the word, the seed of your word, that wouldn't fall empty, that as the rain does not return empty but waters the earth, so would this seed sown among us bear fruit and bring forth life within us. Lord, in one sense, that's the prayer we have for anyone who is here who has not come to know you, that there would be true new life, that you would cause them to be born again into a living hope. But it is also the prayer that I have for myself and anyone else here who has received that new life, has been begotten again, that this seed would bear fruit in us that we would respond appropriately to it and be continually ready to be good ground, responsive to your word, humbly submitting under it, and ready to repent of any wrong that's going on. Lord, I pray that you would guide what I say today, allow it to communicate clearly, and send your spirit to particularly apply it to each of our lives. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's imagine that there is a guy who's working on planting a tree. He's been tasked to do that with some friends of his, hired to do it, and realistically speaking, the person who hired him doesn't care exactly where the tree is planted as long as it's in one line. And so they're planting several trees, and he starts digging one, and he finds something hard. And if you've ever planted a tree, Sometimes you know that trying to get through something hard isn't always the most pleasant thing. Remember planting a tree where a previous tree had died and having to cut apart all of the roots and dig around it. Well, when this guy finds this thing that's fighting or is resistance to his shovel, he decides it's not worth his time and recovers the hole, moves a little bit on to avoid that hard spot. One of his companions sees the dirt that's already there and says, well, why don't I take what was started here and actually finish it? And he finds that hard thing, and he ends up realizing this is actually a very good thing. This is treasure. And so then he starts getting excited. And at the end of his shift, he starts thinking, okay, I got to go and figure out how I can get the money to do this. But then he sees someone else with the same exact treasure. He's being ridiculed and mocked for it. 
And so he decides to leave it. Then the third guy also finds the soil, finds the treasure, decides that's something I need to get, and he starts finding the opportunity to sell his things in order to get it, but he likes his things too much. He sees this treasure beyond compare, but can't get rid of the earthly small treasures worth almost nothing in comparison. And so he hides it and lets it go on. The fourth. The fourth worker eventually does find it, realizes it's worth fully, and does sell everything he has in order to secure the treasure and goes away far more rich than any of his companions. Now, if you were listening well, if you know Matthew 13, you can catch that this is essentially looking at the parable of the treasure hidden in a field, but thinking about how each soil would respond to that treasure. How not everyone realizes its worth, some not even realizing what it is. So not everyone goes out in joy to sell all that they have and grab that treasure. So as we look at the parable of the soils today, our task is to make sure we're the ones who recognize that it is a treasure to find. Recognize what it is and its worth, and in that way, make it so that our soil is good and ready to bear forth fruit. We begin today looking at the first, the four points we looked at last week. The first one we've already read, and I'll go ahead and read again. It's the header, the introduction to the discourse as a whole. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying. What we need to be reminded of as we get into this is that a parable is that earthy story. And it doesn't present its answer on its back. It requires thought, meditation. You've got to sit with it and dig deeper. And in light of that, the parable itself is the only parable, only part of what we've already preached that's getting a full re-explanation. So we can sit with it, sit with how Jesus then presented this truth to us. So the second point is the parable itself. 13, all right, chapter 3. Continuing on in verse 3. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And of course, this is the part that doesn't change. So much of what else happens here does change in the parable, but it's the same sower with the same seed. The seed is not responsible for the different outcomes. Neither is the sower. Rather, it is the soils. And there are four of them. The first soil, verse 4, And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. This seed never had a chance to germinate. It never had a chance to produce life. It grew too slowly. 
In the particular parable, the seeds, came, the birds came by and gobbled up the seeds as they were planted. Now, I haven't personally seen birds do this, though my friends in Columbus have, when grass was being planted and it didn't actually produce anything, but birds came and ate it. But I have certainly seen lots of time, and particularly when planting grass, that the grass doesn't actually grow. The wind pushes the seed away, or the seed doesn't get into the ground enough. I remember pretty vividly one Friday before Fourth uh, of July, which I believe it's that year the Fourth of July was on Sunday. I was working at Cedarville, doing the grounds there, and we were replanting grass on a hill because the water had come and washed all the other seed away. We were making all the provisions necessary, and we stayed late on the holiday weekend in order to get that worked out and actually have grass grow. It's easy to think about seed that lands, but doesn't actually do anything other than sit. And that is the seed that is sown along the road, along the path. Birds come before it can produce anything. Verse 5 and 6 talk about a different type of soil. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. If we look in a parking lot, if we look around black gravel, you're not going to see too much actual alive good plants. You'll see plenty of thorns, plenty of weeds, don't need as much nutrients, but as far as things that produce fruit, they don't grow, or continue growing at least, among rocky ground. And so this seed that's sown among the rocky ground, they can't grow down and build roots, so they start sprouting up. And that means it looks like they're growing quickly, and it's optimistic. But then the heat comes. And as the sun comes up, they're scorched by the sun and wither away because they don't have any support system in the rock. There are no roots. The very thing that allowed them to sprout so quickly now causes that seed to die. And some, verse 7, fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked them. Those pesky weeds choking out the good life. Sometimes it's not just weeds that do this. I was talking to a church member yesterday who had some squash in his garden when he first started gardening some, well, 50 years ago. And uh, he planted two rows of squash. And it just went everywhere. And it started climbing up his corn. And it choked a large portion of what other things that could have produced life in that garden. And I can see that in the same error that my family made with watermelon in our own little small garden. After the watermelon grew everywhere, it is growing up some weeds and choked out some asparagus that our neighbors had planted. 
that seed that's thrown among the thorns, thrown among the weeds, doesn't continue to grow because it's choked out by those weeds. And so it, like the other two seeds, dies. Dead plant, not producing fruit. But thankfully, there is a fourth soil, that which falls on good ground. Verse 8, But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Whether there's a lot of fruit or a little fruit, this soil is good ground, and it does produce life. The sower sowing the seed there produces fruit, brings forth life. And Jesus says, whoever is here ought to listen if they have the ears with which to do so. And that particularly seems to make sense, of course, as we looked at last week, because parables require thought and meditation. You have to take the time in order to be able to listen effectively. The, par- uh, the disciples are wondering, why? Why does he speak in parables? And so verses 10 through 17 answer that question. We read in the explanation for parables here, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this, person's heart, for this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. With this particular explanation for the parables, there seems to be a reason as well to explain what the different soils are, or rather, how the different soils become different soils. And the point being, it's not the sower or the seed that stays the same. There's something else entirely, which in verses 11 and 12 is what God has given and what God has not. Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, 
From him shall be taken away even that he hath. Now he speaks to them still in parables, because the parables have the possibility of revealing just as much as they conceal. If someone is enlightened and wants to do the work, they can understand what the parables mean. But the explanations themselves are reserved only for the disciples, who have already been given and shown that they have been given the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. They understand that Jesus is the Messiah longed for, and they don't need to look for another. But then there is another reason that continues on in verses 13 to 15. The reason that the reason people don't see is because they've closed their eyes. They don't want to see. They aren't taking the time to understand the parable, and so they are left in blindness. Verse 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. They have hardened their own heart. They have closed their eyes. There's one other thing significant in verse 15 that wasn't mentioned last week. And that is an understanding of the word understanding. They're at the very end and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. The type of understanding that Jesus is using in this description of the parable is one that is not just with the mind where you can say that's the types of things that are going on. It's not just being able to say this is what the gospel is. It's understanding it with the heart. And particularly, understanding it with the heart such that one is converted. Or as other translations would say, such that one turns. Such that one repents. Doesn't just understand it and continue living as if there's no change, but turns to Jesus to commit and trust our lives to him to have faith that he has accomplished our salvation. And such a one who does that, the blessing of verses 16 to 17 are true. That we are more blessed than people like Isaiah and Moses who long to see the identification of the Messiah, but never got to. And that then leads in to the fourth point of Matthew 13, 1 through 23. The interpretation of the parable of the soils. Jesus starts it in verse 18. Hear ye, therefore, the parable of the sower. In light of what you have just heard, in light of the fact that we have blessed ears if we understand that Jesus is the longed for Christ, Messiah, Messiah, anointed one, 
who would crush the head of the snake, would be the son of David to reign forever. Hear ye therefore. Listen up. This is what the parable of the sower indicates. Verse 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. The seed that's sown by the road that grows so slowly it never gets the chance to grow at all. That is the seed of someone who hears but never understands, never begins to respond to the gospel in any way, never has a heart united with faith but just hears it and goes on as if nothing had happened. And in light of that, Jesus introduces a third factor to what happens and why the seed might not be received. The birds are in the reality the devil. The birds that come in are an image of how the devil can come in and take away what is sown in someone's heart not allow it to linger and fester. If you are in the hearing of my voice today, push to understand. There is a sense of urgency not to just hear it and go on. Not to just hear it over and over again and push beyond and ignore it. This particularly seems true if you are here today and you're a child who's regularly brought by your parents to this church or a church. And you hear the gospel proclaimed in perhaps Sunday school, morning service, and yet, you hear it, and it just goes in and out. Push to understand. Ask questions. And don't just push to understand with your mind, but understand it with your heart and turn. Come away from our evil ways that we are living and turn to Christ who has suffered it all for us who is victorious, seated at the right hand of God, and is a lion ready to roar. Come. Come to him. Don't delay. That second soil is quite the opposite to this. In verses 20 to 21, we hear about what the rocky soil is. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. 
if the first soil grew too slowly, this soil grows too quickly. It doesn't take the time to actually understand and know what it's doing. It doesn't count the cost of the treasure found hidden in the field, particularly the cost of persecution. But it is particularly interesting that it is exactly the opposite beginning. It sprouts up quickly. There's optimism. And it falls away. It's the same dead plant. Early church theologian Chrysostom is right to remark, Mark this, I pray thee, that the way of destruction is not one only, but there are deferring ones, and wide apart from one another. Let us not soothe ourselves upon not perishing in all these ways, but let it be our grief in whichever way we are perishing. Don't just be happy that you're not the rocky ground or not the thorny ground or not the ground that is by the wayside. If you are any of those, it's still the same end result. The way to destruction is not one but varied. It's the way to life that is narrow, only through Jesus Christ. He that received the seed into stony places heareth the word, and anon, that is immediately, with joy receiveth it. Takes it and is cheerful about it, shows signs of life and excitement, and yet hath not root in himself. Perhaps the pleasures of the moment, the joy and enthusiasm that is immediately present crabs hold of him. Maybe he follows Christianity for X thing that's outside of it, but then realizes he doesn't want the persecution that comes with Christ. He can get the X thing in some other way. But when persecution does come to this one, when life gets difficult, he is offended. He stumbles. He falls away. He shows that he never actually had root. And if you are in the hearing of my voice today, I don't want you to be deceived. Coming to Christ, having this faith, is not easy and can mark you out for significant persecution, ridicule, and insults. But it's worth it. It's a treasure hidden in the field that is worth any price whatsoever to know Christ and to be known by Him. So come, be rooted in your faith. Understand and be rooted in the beauty of Christ who is the greatest treasure, the one whom all our hearts long for and be ready to endure the heat of persecution. The third soil also fails to count the costs, but in a different direction. Verse 22, 
He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. He hears the word. He doesn't fully understand it. The weeds come and choke it out. The asparagus being choked out by the watermelon, perhaps. But all the same, he hears the word, but the thorns, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, his materialism and desire for material wealth in some way, perhaps his desire for power, the anxieties and things that weigh him down, those choke out the word. And so it doesn't produce life. Instead of surrendering to Christ, taking up our cross and following after him, the one who is by the thorns doesn't want to do that, doesn't make that sacrifice, lets his materialism, his desire for wealth, fame, or power get in the way of living for Christ. His his to-do lists, his reading up on stocks, all of the goods he possesses causes him to not value the gospel as highly as it should and ultimately to fall away as well. It is interesting. We don't know whether the one among thorns shows up at the first place or not, whether it starts to sprout and then gets choked or whether it's choked before it even begins. But do know this if you're in the hearing of my voice today. Don't get distracted by the cares, concerns, and anxieties of this world. Don't let them choke out your love for Jesus and the prize that is available in him. That our sins are atoned for. The many wrongs that we have done are permanently paid for on the Christ if we but come to him and believe. Count the cost and come. Be the soil, verse 23. But he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. It's clear in some sense simply by the use of fruit language that throughout uh, Matthew's gospel has referred to the fruit of repentance and lifestyle change. But it's also present in the word understanding, which was informed to us in the context of verse 15. That this is one who hears the word and in understanding repents turns from our sin and to Jesus Christ to his death and resurrection as our only hope. Not able to do enough good works on our own. In fact, realistically, not being able to do any good works on our own. Sure, we can do things that benefit others. We can't truly do things in faith, in dependence upon God. Instead, they all end up being proud. 
good ground, and bears forth fruit, fruit, a hundredfold, sixty, thirty. If you're in the hearing of my voice today, be this soil. Understand the worth of Christ and repent and believe in the gospel. Be willing to bear your cross, sell all that you have, and get the treasure that is beyond compare. Jesus Christ and what he has done. Repent and believe. Father, we do thank you. And we ask that if there is anyone here who doesn't know you, who hasn't been that good ground, let this be the day in which you produce in them fruit. That they come to repentance and they come to know you. Lord, if anyone is here, cause them to talk to me or anyone else after the service and learn what it means and push to understand and counting the cost, let them put their allegiance in you. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. listening to Aroma for Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Fostoria Baptist Church, do you remember 2 Corinthians 2, 15-16, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? <laughs>